Hi, I'm Keith Allen, and I play Murphy on Z Nation, and I listen to One Up Gaming Podcast. I guess we got something to mention before we, you know, get this show on the road. So I would like to, I'm going to take a second and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this and mention this real quick. This week we're sponsored by Audible. So if you'd like to listen to interesting movies and books, and you know, we all do, you can try Audible for a 30 day free trial. And uh, in that, your first book or whatever you want to listen to really is free. And of course, if you don't like audiobooks, you can exchange it for another one for free. So you've really got nothing to lose here. But if you'd visit www.audibletrial.com slash O-U-G, you can get a 30-day trial. Your first book is free. And if you don't like it, exchange it for another one. So you got nothing to lose. And the benefit here is it helps us out here over, over at O-U-G Gaming. And you get something to listen to for free. And, and, and let me tell you guys, I know perhaps better than anybody what time constraints look like, right? I'm, I'm, I'm an app developer by trade and, uh, my deadlines are, are pretty rough. <laughs> so I, I don't have the time to read like I used to back when I was, a you know, living overseas, the life of luxury. But, but, and that being said, I mean, audiobooks are how I primarily consume written media these days. I mean, I, I just don't have time to enjoy the Warcraft books like I used to, but I can listen and I, and, and I listen during my commute and it really works out really well. Um, so again, try www.audibletrial.com slash O-U-G, get the 30 day trial, get your free audio book and enjoy and, and take, and you will see, you, you don't have to listen to me now. Don't take my word for it. Try it for yourself and you will see just how awesome it is to be able to consume all of this print media through your mobile device. It really is. Uh, a really neat experience. So, www.audibletrial.com slash O-U-G. Make it happen. And another thing, just before the podcast starts, we still have over 100, let's just say about 150 keys, Steam codes left, as it was our 150th podcast a few weeks ago. Now, to stand a chance of winning something, all you need to do is go to either the One Up Gaming podcast or the OUG Talks podcast iTunes page. You can do it either on your mobile phone or on the PC or Mac. And just leave us a nice review. And remember to leave your Twitter handle within the review. And we'll just pick random comments out and we'll give out free codes for you. So yeah, so get on with that. And thank you. And seriously, on with the show this time. So welcome to the One Up Gaming Podcast, episode 152, and this week it's going to be a little bit of a special episode because we have two interviews booked in, and the first one, we recorded it a couple of weeks ago now, but the game Dino Eggs Rebirth has actually gotten through Steam Greenlight, and they've got a release date set for Thursday, June the 9th to go up on Steam. It was such a nice guy, I said I'd, I'd put the interview out on this podcast as well. The game itself, I've, I've had an email from him saying it's very fitting that this year, 2016, is the third of a century anniversary of the original Dino Eggs. So we'll have a quick chat with David Schroeder about Dino Eggs, and after that we'll just go straight into another chat with Kyle Hester, 
that will be about Zombie with a Shotgun, which is a movie that's currently on Indiegogo. So please go to Indiegogo and search Zombie with a Shotgun and have a sort of donation on that. So that is it. So I'll just stop this, say thank you all, and see you next week with a proper full podcast we're just nattering on about nothing thank you and we're here with the one up gaming podcast we've got a special interview with i'm probably going to get it wrong but david schroeder that sounds wonderful thank you <laughs> yeah i mean i'm really bad with because i i don't know about if you know but nowadays whenever we get like games in for review they're all like polish or swedish or like, development teams now and it's like and we've got <laughs> just some random letters and <laughs> symbols. So, but anyway, so David, I hear you've been a developer for a long time. Well, I, I got into uh, computer games before anyone knew really what the heck a computer game was or was supposed to be. I graduated from Yale University in, in 77, and I took one computer course at Yale while I was there in like about 1976. And I did not major in computer science or I just took that one computer course. I got the worst grade in that course and I've ever gotten in any of my classes anytime in school. I think I got a D. And so I had no idea that only about four or five years after graduating in like 1981, uh, I would begin to think about learning to program computers um, because uh, that was about the time when the first wave of uh, coin-operated games were showing up in taverns and uh, um, uh, uh, 7-Elevens. In the United States, 7-Eleven is like a corner grocery store that often had a computer uh, a coin-op game in the corner. And Pac-Man was coming out then, Lunar Lander, Missile Command, Battlezone, Defender – and just week by week, I, my eyes were just popping looking at these um, games that were defining what these interactive experiences could be. And nobody knew what these were. Nobody knew how to categorize them. Nobody knew what this kind of experience was going to grow into. People said games, but uh, each of these games that I mentioned, Missile Command, Battlezone, did something profoundly new and different. I remember when I first saw Defender, which is the classic coin-operated game where your spaceship is scrolling horizontally across the screen, and more screen and background just keeps showing up to the side of the screen as the spaceship, you know, travels from left to right on the, you know, in this virtual space. Well. No one had seen anything like that before. And you saw this scrolling landscape and you thought, could that go on forever? Where is that coming from? How big is it? You know, is it a mile long? Is it an infinity long? So each new game was figuring out the controller that the user would use, this trackball for missile command or the joystick for Pac-Man. And now we kind of know where that was going to go. But back then it was just amazingly inspirational and new. And for me, Donkey Kong was a huge step in that development because that was the game where you saw a character and you empathized with that human figure. 
And to me, that was a huge step forward that really inspired me to say, could I do this? I really want to try to do something like this. And so I, I started uh, going to a local uh, community college in the Seattle area and eventually taught myself machine language to write my own uh, computer games back 82 with my first game, Crisis Mountain, and then Dino Eggs, uh, my second game in 1983. So, I mean, when you were sort of saying about um, Defender, if any modern-day gamers are interested in what that was sort of like, imagine... Resogun for the PlayStation 4. That's basically mm-hmm. a modern remake of Defender, and it still plays amazingly well, you know, so... But yeah, those early concepts are still being used uh, early. You know, now the word platformer has is a whole genre of game. But, you know, Donkey Kong wasn't called a platformer because it was one of a kind. Uh, nobody knew before that what that would mean to have a human figure interacting with a, a, a vertical landscape of things to climb on or to jump among. Again, now we just, of course, how could you do it any differently? But that was new then. And the idea that you could hurt yourself or empathize with his character, what was success, what kind of troubles would this character have, the concept of injury, the concept of recovery from injury, you know, all power-ups, all, and that word wasn't used back then either because, you know, this concept of adding value to your life, it all came from pinball, really. The early computer games were just sort of taking the game structure from pinball because, after all, that's what was in the taverns before the new machines showed up. They were pinball machines. So the concept of three lives and you're out comes from pinball. The concept of getting an extra life comes from getting an extra ball in pinball. The idea of a high score and what you need to do to get the high score comes from pinball. So that's the starting point, and everything has evolved from then. Yeah, um, I mean, in the UK, we didn't really have a, a pinball sort of scene. Mm. And, I mean, some of the frankly shocks a lot of the American people that we talk to. Um, the NES, the actual Nintendo Entertainment System, that only sold like 4 million units in its lifetime total in the UK, whereas the Sega mm. Master System sold about 12 million units. Yeah. So Sega massively outsold Nintendo in the UK, but in America, I think the Nintendo, the original NES had about a 99% domination in America. Well, it, it went, it was big pendulum swings. There were all, and, and, and this is kind of falls into the category of the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because it, it's still the case where you have these big, slow pendulum swings between different brands of console, game consoles, but also big pendulum swings between whether people prefer to play computer games on a home computer or on one of the consoles. And that pendulum has swung back and forth several times, too. Uh, in the early days, you know, I wrote my early games when the home computers were ascendant because there wasn't an option of the separate uh, console system. But then the Atari 2500 came in, the Nintendo, as you say, the original NES. 
And that pendulum swung over to the consoles, but it would swing back just a few years later. And the Amiga computer we mentioned before you started uh, broadcasting, that was a big part of that swing back to the home computer side because there were things the Amiga could do that the Atari 2500 and the NES couldn't. So all these swings back and forth, up and down, and people trying, particularly the folks in business, trying to guess what the next ascendant system or or technology would be so the more things change the more they stay the same right and so i guess we'll go to 1983 and dino eggs how many people was on the original team this is the original <laughs> release of dino eggs uh when the uh this art came in uh, the publisher said he was a little disturbed. He thought that superhero there in the pink pink pajamas looked I think he thought he looked the looked a little too feminine, a little too uh not certain about the uh gender identity of that uh, character there. So he was a bit disturbed. And then we came up with another piece of art later on that was a little more comical. But uh the development team was one. Uh those were the days uh when a person like me could sit in the garage or in the basement uh, or in his office and literally write every bit and every bite. And that was part of the amazing time. Uh, teams of software, uh, I mean, I, I suppose there were some groups of friends that started as teams. I didn't start as a team. And I started joining teams and other projects only in about 80, oh, 85 or so. Uh, but for the first three or four games I wrote, it was all me. And that was uh, the first one, Crisis Mountain. This is a, a Japanese release of the first game, Crisis Mountain, on the Comptique system, which I think was basically a ripoff of the Apple um, hardware. And uh, all everything, all the bits and bytes were me. Now, in my new game, Dino Eggs Rebirth, it's a team of two. Uh, the, a lot of the art and music and design. And then there's a programmer, Eric Faroe, in Luxembourg, uh, who was a great fan of the original Dino Eggs in 1983 when he was 10 years old. And uh, he and I have teamed up in the last few years to bring out the new game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, back in 83, it was just me, me and my Apple II. So, I mean, as you said, the, there is a, like a remake of the Dino Eggs that's – is it just on Humble Bundle at the minute? It's uh, available on the website. And only through the website right now, dinoeggsrebirth.com. And it is available through the Humble Bundle uh, widget and also uh, on a digital marketplace called Selfie or Selfi. Um, And we are on Steam Greenlight. So if people are interested in seeing it on Steam, we do have some features that we'd love to add. Uh, Obviously, the Steam achievements, uh, there are achievements in the game right now, but hooking those into the Steam achievement system and the high score system and so forth. So you can vote for the game, Dino Eggs Rebirth, on Steam Greenlight. But the game is available right now through the website, dinoeggsrebirth.com. And I can see that it's got two graphic skins. One that's the original, basically. And I guess another one which is by James Biddoth. Yeah, and he's actually there in the UK with you. Uh, he's in um, in England, uh, uh, oh, northeast of London, a few hours. Uh, I've not too far from. Uh, is it Oxford or Cambridge? It's up there, northeast of London. 
on the website it says Birmingham. Oh, is that a different place? Uh, well, on here, I'm sure it sort of says that it's from Birmingham, England, UK. Birmingham's the Midlands, so like the middle of the UK. Okay, forgive my geographical ignorance yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I we met to, we auditioned a number of people uh, on the internet and uh I had a great time working with James and the other skin of art is mine. It's not literally pixel for pixel the original pixels, uh but it is more in the style of of just expanding the original art. Uh, and then James added a whole new kind of kind of fat pixel retro look that uh feels very fresh. And we have people playing the game. They, you know, a number of them prefer uh, James' art, a number of them prefer my art, which is great. Love to give people a choice. Like when I've had a, a go at the game, and the only difference I could really tell, because I've only got a small monitor for the PC, was that one had more of a, like a realistic main character and one was more cartoony, like more chunky. Yeah. You know, that I could yeah, tell ju- that, but... Yeah, and people have requested that we add another another skin that would be literally pixel for pixel uh, the original art, and I'd love to do that. We thought about doing that all the way through the development process, and for various reasons we didn't. But that uh, we have a game forum on on the website dinoeggsrebirth.com. We're taking in a lot of people's ideas, and like all games uh, do these days, we're hoping to grow and looking forward to growing the game and and meeting new. People's uh, ideas about what to add, and that's that's certainly on the list to uh, do a pixel for pixel skin. Uh, though, of course, the people who played the original game on the Apple think of that as one way, and people who played it on the Commodore 64 think of those pixels being another way. So, I don't know if we'll be able to please everyone all the time, but we're I, I do want to get that eight-bit look back in there if we can. Yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean. People complain nowadays with like the Xbox One and the PS4 saying, oh, it's not quite the same sort of like 900p or 1080 or whatever. But back in like the 8-bit days on the home con- com- computers, it was completely different games that were being developed with the same car like experience, but they looked completely different. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how powerful that stuff is. Uh People have uh, really, a number of people have said they they also not just, to them the important part of the authentic look isn't so much the pixels or the design of the art, it's the black background. Now, of course, the black background was of necessity in the original game because I had to, you just had it to fit the game into 48K and to make the game's speed just be reasonably fast, you had to... Uh, use a black background for simplicity of of changing pixels and animating on the screen. But people really remember that black background as kind of, oh, I don't know, uh, spiritual or almost kind of a, a touch of infinity that when you replace that with a contemporary textured background with rocks or whatever, they actually feel that's a step backward, that they really want the, you know, the kind of ethereal, uh, absoluteness of that black background. So that's another option we're we're building into the game, and a, a, an update of the game will probably include that as an option um, next time we have an opportunity to update everybody uh, with uh, various adjustments. So I mean, I don't know how you would describe the game, but to me, 
it's in the same sort of style as the original Mario Brothers or like Donkey Kong, like single screen platform sort of games. Yeah, it's it's a single screen at a time platform game. Um, my first two games, Crisis Mountain and, and Dino Eggs, were both in that category. You know, it's funny because at the time they were called action strategy games. Uh, now you would not call it an action game because that would be Im- implying that the screen is full of motion and the screen is not full of motion. But what I think the strength of the original game was is that uh, it had a fun concept. You're going back in, in time to save the dinosaurs from extinction. And ironically, you end up causing the dinosaurs' extinction by bringing common cold uh, germs back with you into the prehistoric era. And so you dedicate yourself to rescuing as many of the dino babies and dino eggs as you can and carrying them safely back into the future. And then visually on the screen, I think the strength of the game, and and folks can take a look at it on YouTube. Uh, There are many clips of um, uh, dino eggs on the web or check out my YouTube channel which is David S-E-H-P-T but you can find that through my website dinoeggsrebirth.com um, it's, uh, it's kind of like an animated game of chess in the sense that the grid on the screen makes some creatures work and objects work vertically some creatures interact horizontally and you're navigating through all this horizontal and vertical action to decide strategically how best to rescue the baby dinos and eggs given everything that's happening around you in these vertical columns and horizontal rows and it's a really rich game for being as constricted as the original game was in 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 act in animation and speed and uh memory space it really is a rich game and uh the new game tries to take that same fabric of the original 8-bit game and expand it just enough so that it's a new experience without losing the essence of the cleverness of the original game. I mean, I was just going to say that a lot of these so-called retro sort of games, a lot of them nowadays are practically unplayable, but I think they're the ones that were not on the early 8-bit sort of machines. They were the ones a little bit later where they were trying to do too much for the machines themselves. So the mm. control, the speed of the gameplay, just the scrolling of the graphics, things like that, it makes the game nowadays unplayable. But back then it was like cutting edge, so people had have a bit of slack towards that the gameplay itself just because of how good it looked. But the mm. mm-hmm. the earlier games, like the one like the Dino Eggs, because it's quite a simple graphic style and everything flows smoothly. It still plays really well, even like in modern day sort of time. Well, I hear from many people who still play the original Dino Eggs either on an original uh, Commodore 64 or Apple or on the many, many emulators uh, that are available with the disc image. And I, I mean, I, I hear from people all the time who say, I play this game, I play at least one game of this almost every night to relax at night i play it with my son and daughter you know it seems i hear that a lot uh, over the years it seems to be a game that really brings people together parents and children playing it uh they're both able to all everyone's able to appreciate it in their own way so it it's really stuck with people and and you know back in the 80s i had no real way to hear about how that was happening but with the growth of the internet then people have been able to get in touch with me and uh, it's remarkable. It's wonderful to hear. People tell very touching 
personal stories about how the game uh, helped them get through difficult years or helped their family bond in difficult times. And uh, yeah, it's it's a rich game that I'm very pleased that it's been able to do that for folks. Because I, I mean, I'll be honest, I've never heard of the game before. Um, I don't know if it was because it was more of, like, I used to play the Spectrum, and then I went to the Amiga, and then I went to, like, Mega Drive and started on consoles and didn't actually touch a PC at all. Up until when, when did Unreal Tournament come out? 98? So it was about 98 sort of time when I actually got a PC that would play games. But up until... Like the late 80s and the mid to late 90s, I never touched a PC. So, but I mean, for me, I am like a retro game fan. I love a lot of the old sort of games. And to me, this Dino Eggs, because it actually, it's very similar, as I say, to like the Mario Bros. And those sort of games. But because it's like a new spin on it that I've not played before. It's actually a really fun game to actually get stuck into now. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, uh, I would re- recommend you and, and your uh, listeners and viewers check out a series of posts I've, I've put on the industry game industry site Gamma Sutra because I kind of go into more detail there with visuals, um, how I wrote the early games, including Dino Eggs, and just kind of what the whole feel of the 8-bit world was back then. Um, I've got, um, you know, it really was kind of a hand-tooled kind of era. And I've got these big sheets here uh, where I was trying to figure out with my first games how to put things on the screen. You understand there weren't any tools back then. You know, there weren't digital tools uh, that would keep track of things on the screen and the numbers on the screen, the pixels on the screen. It was all just dots, and every memory space was a different dot. And so I had to take the pencil and paper to figure out how do I organize this screen? Where do the entrances and exits go and the tunnels and the paths? And how do I get these little this little man to follow these lines on the screen if I want a path to go up or down or at an angle? And it it was a lot of handwork. It really was hand tooled, pixel by pixel stuff. And uh, I like I say on Gama Sutra, I go into more detail and show some art of some of these uh, tools and papers and sketches that I used to write the original games. I mean, I will say that is absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm one of these people that I'm really sad. I'll actually go on to some random websites and I'll download. Like the old games magazines from like the 1980s, just so I can like read through and look at all the, the stories from like the late 80s and things like that. I mean, so to see things like that, that's really fascinating. And I mean, yeah, it, I've I've enjoyed sharing them. I've enjoyed sharing them, and I I uh, just got an email the other day from a someone who's doing a documentary video series on the early platform games, and he's asking me for some information about my games, which is lovely. It's just it's wonderful to uh, to hear. I was at an Apple II reunion uh, gathering this past summer that was organized and hosted by John Romero. I don't know if you know his yep. name from the early days, but he's yeah he's been one of the uh, towers of of early gaming, and uh, he was kind enough to invite me uh, and Steve Wozniak and some other folks of that era. 
And what really struck me is I was not the oldest person there. I was one of the older people there because as you, as I said in, in answer to your first question, I first, you know, got into this area five years after I graduated from Yale. So I was a little on the older side. Many of the people who were rushing into doing games and things for the Apple were in college or in high school or even in junior high school. And I was five years out of college. So I think that, that actually lent my games I was young enough to adapt to the technology and teach myself assembly language and figure things out, but I was also a little older, so my games were maybe a little deeper, uh, you know, a little more complete in, in uh, as best they could, cramming things into 48K of space. And, and, and looking back on it now, I think that was actually my slightly advanced age at the time did make what I did uh, different. Um, yes, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, we know John Romero. We met him at a, there was a retro event a, a year ago in Wolverhampton. Oh, cool! And he had a like a Doom tournament where it's like a load of machines all linked up and and that and that was quite fun. He's he's back over across the Atlantic now. He's uh, he's living and working in uh, in Ireland now. Not bad, <laughs> but I mean, like, I really I know. Um, John Romero, because we were designing, writing, and going to produce uh, like an animated cartoon series. Mm. And the basic idea was someone gets sucked into a video game world, and he asked, uh, "Do you remember Quantum Leap?" Yes. Imagine that, but every episode it's like it goes into a different game world. Right. And right. We had. ID, um, they said, yes, we could use Doom or any of their other sort of... Well, no, it was Bethesda, because they own it all now. Um, Bethesda said we could use any of their games, game characters, locations, names, anything we wanted. And so I emailed John, and he basically said that, yes, he would voice a character in the series. Ah, what fun. So, but yeah, so I mean, that... I was really hyped getting into that, and then... It turned out that if you wanted to have an American animator do like 60 minutes of animation, he wanted about 60 grand. Mm. And I was like, I can't afford that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, I guess that maybe gets down to these uh, t- democratization of tools. I, I, I think you can uh, do a lot of desktop animation uh, oneself if one has a knack for it, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, that sounds like an interesting concept, though. That's a cool concept. I like that. But say, I went onto these other sort of websites, like People Per Hour, and there was a couple of people from, I think they were Indian, and they sent over some really good, like, Saturday morning quality cartoon clips, and they said that they could do 60, 60 minutes for about eight grand. So it's getting cheaper, but still on the high end Amazing. for us. But, amazing, amazing! You'll you'll become a cartoon, a cartoon producer yet. But yeah, so that's one of the things. The other thing we've got in the works that's almost finished is we're doing a documentary, like a feature length documentary about podcasting. Mm. So I've got loads of people from that do loads of podcasts to record themselves answering questions. 
and then we're going to like edit it all together, put it all together, and hopefully get that out within the next three or four months. Cool. So, cool. Busy times. Cool. Busy times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's everyone's got a lot of stuff going on. It seems. But those are exciting projects. Good luck. Good luck with those. But I mean, when I was like reading through on the Dino Eggs Rebirth website, it looks mm-hmm. as though you've done a lot of things other than games, like art and. Yeah, I I've written theatrical musicals. Uh, I uh, have not been in the computer game area consistently through the thirty-two years since uh, the original games. Uh, I did work at Microsoft. Uh, my strength seems to be user interface, so I helped design and refine user interface for a number of the Microsoft products in the uh, early 1990s, and have worked for other software companies. I'm currently working for a part-time for a, a green energy startup company that's helping electrical utilities um, integrate more renewable energy like solar and wind into their systems, into the grid. And... Uh, but of course, I'm also doing this Dino Eggs project, and uh, I've, like I say, dallied in theater uh, over the years, and had a musical that uh, did some uh, uh, development work at the Walt Disney Studios. Was invited to do some development work on a the musical at the Walt Disney Studios about ten years ago, and that the show has not gone to Broadway. But it was a fascinating experience to uh, to work with a number of theatrical professionals through that, and. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I've done a, a bunch of different things. Uh, performed locally, theater as well, and uh, music director of some shows. So with the Dino Eggs Rebirth, would you say the next sort of steps you're looking for is to do a couple of tweaks and updates and to get it actually out on Steam? I'd love to get on Steam. So uh, if people can give a thumbs up on Steam Greenlight to Dino Eggs Rebirth, that would be great. Really would appreciate that. But we're going to grow the game as best we can, whether we're on Steam or not. We're going to respond to things that people post in the game forum on the website, uh, dinoeggsrebirth.com. We've already started to to respond to those, and people have a lot of interesting ideas. And also they're sharing tips and brags about how far they've gotten in the game. Uh, there is one person who's gotten all 264 stars already. So there are people out there who are just uh, going nuts for it and enjoying it very, very much, and we're getting a lot of good feedback from that. But we're going to tweak and grow the game as best we can with the support that we get. And uh, that might even be revisiting the old original 8-bit code at some point because there's a possibility we could uh, kind of packaged together with Dino Eggs Rebirth, an emulator, a licensed emulator, where we would have the original 6502 code running in the original Apple screen. I, and I've I've often kind of thought in my mind it would be lovely to go back to that code because I have it. I have it here printed all out. Uh, I have the uh, 8-bit code printed out on authentic 1980s uh, dot matrix uh, perforated side hole punch push what, what do you call the kind of paper that had the holes on the side so that the printer could kind of pull the paper through pin feed pin feed paper and this is the old 8-bit code here from dino eggs in, in in a big pile and i would love to go back and revisit that code and kind of optimize it just kind of apply Keep within the 48K. Don't don't break the rules, but keep the same pixels on the screen and such. But 
you know, just optimize it, put in a few, squeeze in a few special features, uh, little variations of things uh, to make the game a little more flexible, maybe a little more user feedback or features about uh, God mode or skipping this or power-ups or something like that. But keep it within the limitations of the old old 8-bit. And I don't know, I'd love to do that just for fun and and, and add that uh, value to the Dino Eggs Rebirth as well. But we'll see. We'll just need to respond to the number of games we can sell and the feedback we get as we go along. So I hope people will give it a give it a shot, whether they remember the old game Dino Eggs or not. We're having a lot of fun uh, with the old fans and the new. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, like what you said there about optimizing and making it still fit within the original constraints of the development of that game. Because I know that in the last couple of years we've had a a big insurge of like what people call like. Um, like the really retro style graphic games like they're all 2D sort of like bitmap sort of graphics and a lot of people in when you read reviews or read the stories about it they're like oh if you were to put this onto a NES cartridge it'd play on a NES and then you actually play the game and say that would never play on a NES <sighs> you know the NES doesn't do transparency effects and like light yeah. shines and yeah but I mean, yeah, people... people don't understand <laughs> all the technological levels of this. Yeah, they, they particularly the the original eight bit machines were extremely uh, primitive, though extraordinarily advanced for their time. But yeah, every dot on the screen on the old Apple II knew nothing about any other dot on the screen. The dot was just either a dot or it was black. It, there was no kind of overarching concept of a sprite or a character or a foreground and a background. Dot on, dot off. That's all it was. And every in, every layer of intelligence that you needed to add to that to make it work, you had to put in the code from scratch. So, yeah, there's a lot of constrictions like that that people don't understand or or take for granted. When things work beautifully, you just take it for granted that that's the way it should work. But there's a lot of development of technology over the decades that have led to that ability. So, I mean, just before we wrap this up, would you say that it was easier to get into game development 30 years ago than what it is now? (laughs) <laughs> good question. Um, good question. Wow. Easier. Um, that is an interesting question. Uh, I, it, you know, I would say in some ways it was easier uh, 32 years ago just because I was younger and I wanted to be creative and make a living in some creative way. So in that sense, it was easier in that it was all kind of just one thing I had to do. Um, and I did what I needed to do to teach myself what I needed to learn. And with a little luck, I was able to to make my living at uh, computer games for about nine years. I can't say it was easy overall, but maybe it was easier than today where, you know, frankly, there's 82 billion games out there. 81 billion of them are free. And as we were discussing earlier, uh, this this curation problem where when the tools are so flattened and democratized across the society, how do you distinguish between, you know, one game and another? 
So it's tough. It's it's difficult. I mean, when I reach someone who, who remembers the original game, you know, they love to see the new game and they're all for it immediately. But uh, just given all the different hardware people used years ago, that isn't it was not a household word, Dino Egg. So yeah, it, it's pretty uphill these days. And uh, even though the tools are are available and most everything is free, and it's amazing what you can do with so little investment, uh, still. It's an uphill battle uh, to make the game uh, available and, and known. So that's why I appreciate the time of folks like you to help uh, spread the word. And, and uh, yeah, so in a way it was easier 32 years ago. And in other ways it's easier now because I wouldn't be doing this now at all if I hadn't done what I did 32 years ago. I mean, I, I will say in the last five years there's been some development sort of like programs you can buy. Because I think I've used, oh god, what's it called? Construct 2, which is like a 2D game engine maker. And you literally just get a sprite that you want, put it on the screen. And you can, within 10 minutes, get that sprite walking left and right and doing a jump animation. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I've got no programming skills whatsoever. I can barely spell my own name, let alone anything else. And... Within about a day of fiddling around, I managed to get a little cat animated running around the level, jumping on things ob and obstacles. And then there was enemies on screen, so if you hit the enemy, you reset to the beginning. Or if you got to the end where there was like a little ball of wool, it like reset back to the beginning again. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. if I could do that, then if anyone with a small bit of talent, then I'm sure nowadays with these like game engine builders, then a lot of the hard work's taken out. It's just your imagination and the dedication needed to actually stick to it. Yeah. So that's what yeah, I Yeah, that's, like. that's part of it is the dedication and, and uh, yeah, going past what the tool makes it easy to do and push it to what it can do uh yeah that's that's where the real uh test comes in i've had um, so many people over the years say can i write dino eggs rewrite it in a new environment maybe somewhat like the one you're talking about or other you know packages of game development or or whatever and they teach themselves programming by writing or rewriting dino eggs which is lovely um but yeah following through and saying how do i really make this what i want it to be then you're almost inevitably finding that whatever tool you use, there are handcuffs. There are always handcuffs. And you just need to say, how does my vision take me through those handcuffs? How can I transcend those handcuffs? Because uh, every system is limited in, in some ways. And, uh, yeah, so that's where the test comes in. And you're right. It's a matter of uh, patience and perseverance. So... Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your time very much, David. And, and... good luck uh, leading the government of the <laughs> UK. I, I know that's a big burden for you. And, and you have, it's amazing that you have time to do this podcast in addition to all your uh, other duties. But uh, I'm sorry. I just had to rib you about that briefly. Forgive me. I wish I was on his like, £600,000 a year. <laughs> That'd be quite fun. Because yep. I've always thought the Prime Minister or the 
like the American president, they have the final say, but a lot of the stuff's done by their secretaries and their heads of states. And so basically, they get blamed for the final decision, but they don't really do a lot. They just make the decision. I might be wrong, but, you know, I just think that'd be quite a cushy job. <laughs> well, I, I don't know of anyone who's ever been either prime minister or president yeah. would describe it as cushy. But we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that to those who can speak, uh, speak with experience, I guess. So if you'd just like to mention, like, where people can email you, tweet you, get in contact with you, sure. and your yeah, well, the main, Dino Eggs yeah, website. You betcha. The main thing is dinoeggsrebirth.com. Uh, that's where the game is for sale and all kinds of videos there and uh, feature lists for the game and the game forum that I mentioned where people are piling in with uh, how they're progressing in the game. We are so all, are on Steam Greenlight, Dino Eggs Rebirth on Steam Greenlight. Please vote for the game if you can. Uh, you can contact me through that website, dinoeggsrebirth.com. Uh, and there's links there to the YouTube channel um, and my Twitter handle, and 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 uh, contact form. So it all pretty much flows from dinoeggsrebirth.com. And I look forward to hearing from anyone who wants to ask about anything or share their memories. Uh, you can go on the game forum. There's a memories kind of topic in the forum for people to share their memories of the original game. And there's multiplayer in the new game. So uh, that's a really fun new feature, particularly for families who did play the old game together. Uh, there's now a way to really play it together with multiplayer, which uh, adds a, a really great a whole new level to the thing. Uh, Thanks for your the, time. That'll be the next thing I try, the multiplayer. <laughs> there you go. So, again, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we're here with the One Up Gaming Podcast. I'm not sure what episode it is. I've lost count now. But we've got a special guest. So I guess I'll just do the same thing for everyone. If you just want to introduce yourself and just say what you do, please. Uh, well, well, first of all, I'd uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, my name is Kyle Hester. I am an actor and a producer in, in Los Angeles, California, uh, working on a, a few movies. And anything in particular? Well, sure. Um, first off, uh, what I have going on is the uh, zombie with a shotgun, and I will be playing Sheriff Hank Ray in that, and uh, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot of fun. It's like a, a different twist on on the zombie genre, and uh, it's like what if uh, yeah, what if you give a, a zombie a shotgun and he can actually think and knows what to do with it, you know? <laughs> so it's it's a lot to think about. So I mean, if if people don't know that. Is a, like a little web mini series out, five episodes. Each one's only about four or five minutes long. I mean, for me, the it's different because it's. I think it's hinting at the fact that he is a zombie, but it might not be a zombie. Do you know? It might be some sort of other disease or infection. Right. I, I think that uh, that it it touches on that. For sure, I think that uh, you know it gives the opportunity to explore, you know what uh, what would happen, you know if um it, you know if it if it was a virus, you know, and it could be uh, something that you would have to deal with in one way or the other, and um, so I think they would definitely will be able to explore um, those kind of elements in the film, and that's what that's what we're we're looking to uh, to accomplish here with the with the Indiegogo fundraiser. 
to get that off the ground. So, I mean, will the movie be the same actors that were in the miniseries? Um, that would be up to Hilton, the uh, the creator and director. Um, but first off, what I know we're going to do is basically get the uh, get the budget in place, and then um, I think that all of that will be determined uh, later uh, during the casting process. So, and it'll depend upon you know because we're going to be shooting in Los Angeles, and he had done it in New York where he lives. So there will be some logistical things uh, to to work out if um you know if the cast you know would stay the same or we're going to be casting a lot out here so so that that will all be worked out right and I mean just um, a random sort of question I myself wrote a like a cartoon web series it was going mm-hmm. to be ten episodes each about ten minutes long and I was talking with. Um, if I say the name, oh god, what the hell's his name? Something Diamond. The he played Screech and Saved by the Bell. I completely blanked. Oh, oh yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but I've completely not Dominic Diamond. I don't, I, it's Summit Diamond. I know that. But we were talking with his agent, and mm-hmm. basically, I wanted him to voice one of the main characters, and. Mm-hmm. It was only going to be literally about half an hour voice work needed. And they were asking, right. I think it was about £7,000. Do you think that's quite a lot to ask? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he, here's the thing. A, basically, it's an agent's job is to get as much money for their client as possible. So, um it, and whatever value you think a particular name brings to your, it's like, will you recoup that money by having a particular actor in your film? Like, is their draw going to pay for that salary? So I think that it's, it's strictly a supply and demand kind of, of thing. And that's how, you know, Mark Wahlberg, you know, can, can make 20 million or however much he's making, you know, per picture, because, that 20 million will be more than paid for by the people that his fans that go to see all of his movies. So, so that's kind of how, how that gets negotiated, you know? Um, so yeah, so it, but it's all, it's all perception and, and what you think and what you're trying to accomplish with it. And, um, does that name, you know, bring that value to your project? So I think that that's, that's how that all works. Yeah, and as you were talking, I just remember Dustin Diamond. <laughs> right, right, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, unfortunately, his agent, we all booked the call to have, like, a, a group meeting, and unfortunately, uh-huh. bad things happened, and he's sort of like, I don't know if he's actually in jail now, or, like, house arrest, or whatever's happening to him. Cause, like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. Because he's sort of like stabbed someone on new year's eve or something last year but oh yeah. god that's terrible <laughs> yeah yeah all i know is that the rest of my team because i i was saying to him that we're talking with this guy and they just kept emailing me loads of clippings about dustin diamond facing 25 years in prison and all this other stuff it's like oh okay so yeah that sort of fell through and <laughs> wow well that's pretty intense <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we had all set up. We were going to launch a Kickstarter. He was due to go on 
one of the Tonight Shows or Late Night or whatever it is in America, and he was going to mm-hmm. plug it on on the show, and that was within the fee that we agreed. You know, he'd do all the voice work and did help do a Kickstarter video and did promote it a little bit for us. Sure. And I was quite happy with that. And we also agreed that if the Kickstarter failed, we'd just pay him a small a small fee just as a thanks for trying, not the full sort of outlay. And yeah, unfortunately, that went horribly wrong. So yeah, well, you know, I think that that um, that's the problem with Kickstarter. That's the with the the all or nothing thing, you know, which is actually something that we just you know changed from Kickstarter to Indiegogo for that reason. So I think as a as a producer, it's like um, basically knowing that you're going to get this done no matter what. And um, I think if you have if you have that in mind and and some other ideas on how to fundraise and whatnot, then 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 Kickstarter might not make sense, you know. But uh, I know a lot of people use it, and um, and we you know had you know a pretty good chunk in there. Um, but the, we, you know, at the halfway point, we were less than halfway to the goal and was like, I can't waste another month, you know, um, on, on Kickstarter knowing that it might fail by a few thousand dollars. And then we wasted two months of time. And I, so I, I cannot abide by that. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the good things about Indiegogo, the fact that you can do, as you say, like a, a flexible funding where you want so much but even if you only get half that, you're still allowed to collect that money. Oh, yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, well, which... I mean, basically, I think, uh, you know, I mean, that's that's the goal here is, is to make a film. So and we are absolutely going to do that with a zombie with a shotgun. And um, so it's like if if you don't, you know, if, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. It's like, you know, relaunch it and keep going until you get the money you need. So um, I think it's just but some people don't you know, don't think necessarily like that. Like, oh, well, we'll give it a shot on Kickstarter. And if we make it, you know, we, we that'd be great. We'll do it. And if we don't make it, then we don't do the project. And I, I can't think like that, you know? I mean, watching the the little miniseries things, I was sort of like watching through. And I mean, I like the idea. I mean, I don't know if the movie is going to be something similar where he gets infected at the beginning and it takes the entire movie for him to maybe transform and that's what excited me when i heard about the the fear the walking dead series where it said it's going to be set at the beginning of the outbreak where you'd mm-hmm. actually see things slowly evolving and then it about four right. episodes in it just completely lost the plot but i liked the idea of that where it's like a slow build right yeah well i think um i think there's going to be uh, several elements of uh of of change and um and what what do you do if this happens and then uh some some characters will kind of like uh their plot line will change a little bit because of those things so uh it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting and um i'm i'm excited for it for sure so the kickstart no the indiegogo page um i've just been looking at some of the the actual levels and I believe mm-hmm. the cheapest level to actually get hold of, like, the movie itself, a uh, physical disc, would be, is it $50? 
Uh, yes. Yeah, that, that is correct. We have, I mean, at 25, you know, you would get the, uh, the streaming link. So you do get to, you know, to have a copy of it. Um, but yes, to actually get a DVD, it, yeah, $50, but you also get, you know, the other stuff, everything below that as well. The assigned artwork and the signed DVD and, um, there's all kinds of stuff that, uh, that you basically like with Indiegogo, the, the thing about it is it, all of this stuff becomes collectible, you know, because this is the only time that any of this is available is during the buildup for a film. So if you, you know, want to collect things and, and you like cool stuff that, uh, that you can kind of put on your wall or, or you like, you know, autographs and that kind of thing, this is, this is the way to get those things that you probably would not be able to get any other way unless you go to a convention and the actor that you want to have the autograph is, you know, happens to be there. So I think that, um, it's, it's a great thing for, for the fans to play a part and help something happen and get cool stuff. I can see there's some artwork on the page itself and it's really quite nice. Is that the sort of artwork that you will get with some of the, the funding levels? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that is um, actually, I think that's at the $60 level, you get um, some some of the signed uh, comic artwork and, and uh, Hilton, the director and myself will be signing those things. Uh, so and that, that's the only way to get that is through the um, through the Indiegogo. So so, yeah, it's, there's some definitely some cool artwork that uh, that you be able to to frame up. Maybe about a year ago now, we actually interviewed Keith Allen, who is one of the main stars of Z Nation. Mm -hmm. We were sort of talking with him, and we sort of asked him which zombie world does he think's the most sort of like fleshed out and believable. Of course, his he had to go with Z Nation because you know you can't go against your own little baby. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, which which sort of like movies or comics or tv series do you enjoy in that sort of setting well you know what i kind of i like to see different takes on things so i'm not like a well this this world has to be like this so i actually enjoy seeing what different people's takes on it is it's like uh you know um basically each thing becomes their own world and and i'm i'm a fan so i i don't i don't actually have um have a preference i like i like to see you know creatives be creative and see what see what you come up with and it's like oh that's cool you know or eh, that doesn't really work you know but uh but, but I, I love to see all the different takes as i was doing a bit of research i sort of looked into some of the old zombie movies and one that's maybe one of the most recent the Shaun of the Dead. Like the... <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, in the UK, that came out and was quite a big hit. And then in the US, the distributor sort of held it for a year because they thought the American market wasn't right for it. And they basically waited until Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake came out. And then a week later, they launched it just on the coattails of that. Yeah. I don't understand necessarily why you know distributors do what they do sometimes. Um, I'm sure that you know every everyone uh, has their own idea about marketing and what the best idea for releases are. But uh, you know, I'm, I think if something's good, you got to let it go, you know, and you know, let it fly on its own. And I think that that's that kind of ideal that they that people do. It's like, well, if we wait for this and you know that kind of thing on the on the tails of this, so. 
you end up where you're not really creating your own thing anymore. It's like you're you're waiting for somebody else to set the tone for you, and then you're just a lemming. You know, you're just like, okay, well, let's yeah, this this worked for that guy. Let's do that. You know, so there's you kind of lose creativity in in that kind of thinking. So that's why I think um, you know you get behind these in, these independent films and, and artists. And, you know, it's like if you see something on Indiegogo that, that you like, support it. Because this is how this happens. Looking at the zombie with a shotgun, to me, it's, it's a similar sort of thing to what Shaun of the Dead was. It's a zombie movie, but it's completely off the sort of spectrum of what's the normal zombie movie. Right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I will say, the, I, I was looking at some of the tweets... For something that, I mean, I'll be honest, it's something that I'd never really heard of before. But the Twitter followings, you've got like over 100,000 followers. Yeah, that's all. That's uh, Hilton, you know. I think that, you know, this has been a, a long time in in development. And, uh, you know, he's got those, uh, you know, the web series off and he's making, you know, making a comic uh, graphic novel out of it so i mean it's a it's a thing and i think it's been a it's been a while of you know building the audience up that you know, people hear about it and you know then and that's that's what it's all about you know if you don't have money to get on tv and and do that kind of thing for marketing it's like you know twitter is a great a great way to to kind of get in front of people do you know if hilton himself will be like directing or will it be some other person that will come in and, and direct no hilton will be directing yeah so so he would he will be directing and um i'll be playing the sheriff um and then uh we'll we'll see we'll see what kind of exciting casting happens once we get the budget so i mean just as a curiosity for myself the mm-hmm. web episodes do you have a rough idea of how long they took to shoot and the budget for them uh, I I don't have any idea. No, the, I I met Hilton um, after he had done all that. So so that that'd be a good yeah. I mean he would he would actually be able to answer all those questions. Because I know for a fact that some of the movies that you watch, the low budget movies, you think oh that looks really quite ropey with the editing and things like that. But I mean I've tried. I mean, I'm actually making a documentary, and just trying to edit it all together and put it all into order. It's a hell of a lot mm-hmm. harder than it actually looks. Yeah, I'm not going to edit it. You know, I mean, here's here's the thing. The way that my take on it is, is, is you let the people do what they do best. Let them do that. You know, like, I'm not going to try to learn how to edit, you know, um, to, for a feature film. You know, it's like uh, that we'll, we'll get into all that in post-production. And, you know, somebody's like an awesome editor that, that works on this movie and that movie and this movie. And, and they know how to do that. So then, OK, we'll, uh, you know, we'll sell a bunch of T-shirts and pay that person to edit. You know, so uh, I think that when when you try to try to do things that are outside of of one's um, well, learning curve, you know, I think that it, you can get in trouble whether um, instead of just like finding someone that already knows how to do that and you save yourself a lot of heartache. Uh, you said at the start that the project was on Kickstarter and like from when I saw that I, I thought it was doing quite well with the funding and then all of a sudden it just sort of like 
disappeared, and then I noticed that it moved over to Indiegogo, but as you say, it was because of different ways that they handle things, so you thought it better fit the project. Sure. Well, I mean, also, you know, people are funny on Kickstarter. I mean, because people will represent themselves as having a lot of money and then change their perk amount and pull out and you know and that happened several times where it's like you know you think you have some backing for some people but they they were just kidding so i'll change that perk you know and and whatnot and and reduce it from 250 to seven dollars you know that kind of thing which you can do on kickstarter because uh it's part of their program you know it's like you can alter change you know the perk amount and um so i think there's some people that uh that do that and um I, I'm I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> so, because it's like it's messing with like you know the whole thing is like is that real? You know, is is whatever that amount is is that real? You know, or or is it uh you know we're gonna get down to it and someone's like oh shit you know I I put in a thousand dollars but I can't really afford a thousand dollars so I'll just come back down and get the uh, the streaming link for twenty five bucks and then the Kickstarter doesn't make it because somebody just wanted to feel like a big shot, you know so. Whereas, um, you know, with Indiegogo, it is what it is. So if like if somebody has the money and they put it in, it's right there. There it is. So you know where you stand, you know, with your project. So, um, so yeah, so there you go. That's what I think. <laughs> and I mean, when you explain it like that, it, it does make it sound a lot safer to go with Indiegogo. Have you found that Indiegogo's just as well known or do you think Kickstarter's still the big dog of the fundraising sort of things? Well, I think Kickstarter is more well-known because that's what people talk about. You know, it's like, you know, the uh, when you get those those big, you know, superstar A-list people that jump on Kickstarter who have like a bazillion fans and all that kind of stuff, and they know that, you know, they're going to be successful because they have, you know, a bazillion fans. So, um, so it's kind of like, and those are the things that get all the attention. Um, but... But I think that definitely, you know, like I was saying earlier, if you if you know that you're definitely making a project and you can count on what you have, what you see in front of you is real, you know, then you know where you stand and you know what you have to do. So instead of like, uh, you know, going, putting in two months because you live and breathe um, a, an Indiegogo or or a Kickstarter, it's an everyday thing. You are, it's not like you can push a button, walk away, you know, for two months and then come and see what you have. I mean, you'll have zero, you know, because it's all about your relationships and, and, uh, you know, how much you put it out there in front of people and talk about it and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we found out that that we were going to be putting as much energy into Indiegogo as we were into Kickstarter, but it's like now at least we know it's real. So, I hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have a script, or will that all be decided after the, the funding and all that's sort of like settled? Do we have a script? Yeah, or like a, a rough outline of what the movie will be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that, um, you know, we can't, can't let out too many of uh, the plot elements. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's, it's very cool. I love what Hilton's doing with it. Your character in the movie, would you say he's joint sort of co-star or just like a bit part? Oh, my part? Yeah. No, yeah, my part's a major role. So, yeah, it's um, it's a, yeah, it's a big part of the plot. So I would have a guess you're the guy who's trying to track down the main zombie guy. 
I believe that, uh, yeah, that that's probably me. So it's a bit, <laughs> a bit like a remake of The Fugitive and you're Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> you know what? I'd love to be compared to Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> so I'll take that. <laughs> so the project is live now on Indiegogo. I guess people can find it just by going to Indiegogo and searching zombie with a shotgun. Yeah, you can search it through uh, Zombie the Shotgun, or you can follow it through the, the many Twitter posts that uh, that I have on, on my Twitter feed, and also the you know the Zombie with the Shotgun Twitter feed. So it, it's all over any of any of those places. So it's it, it's uh, it should be relatively easy to find. It's uh, for the Twitter is at Zombie W A Shotgun, and um and mine is at Kyle D Hester. And I will say it's been an absolute pleasure talking with someone who's a major star with a glorious voice <laughs> thank you so much oh yeah i was i was gonna say um actually my my wife is um she's a, a writer and uh, she, tracy ray she's writing um another film that i'm in, involved in and actually a couple of other films but there's a, a history um to scotland she is the the 19th great granddaughter of robert the bruce 19 so, that's quite a long time ago <laughs> that is quite a long time ago but uh yeah she did she did the research and like sure enough she's the 19th great granddaughter so you know so uh so she's a, she's a, maybe a distant relative <laughs> well like i mean i'm from north yorkshire in england but i've actually moved up to scotland anyway so i'm actually living in glasgow now and oh, cool. i cannot understand the word these people are saying <laughs> I, I just I just stand hilarious. and nod at him. Say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but the the newest movie, oh, these names just escape me. Like, it's the Snow White one. The hunt is it? The Huntsman. Oh, the Huntsman. Yeah, I, I have not seen that yet. The two main stars are doing really bad Scottish accents. Well, I mean, oh, when when I saw the review, it was like it's bordering on being like proper offensive racist, sort of like you know <laughs> the accent they were trying to do. Really? Yeah, it's and they played a clip of it, and it was really bad. So yeah, that might be worth so... watching just for the laugh. Yeah, that's that's really too bad. I hadn't um, I hadn't seen those reviews, um, but I tell you what. Um, that casting is is so important. I mean, it just depends upon on what you want to do and what you're trying to you know do with your films. It's like uh, you know, basically my my rule. I was just in um in the chair. With, uh, I actually ended up being a producer on the chair with, uh, with Bill Obers Jr. and um, Noah Hathaway from Neverending Story and Zach Galligan who was uh, in Gremlins. Um, and um. That was an awesome experience, but all of the actors are amazing, you know. So you, it's like if you're if you're trying to make a film that you you got to have the cast that can pull off the roles and make it believable. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know. So that's just what I think. <laughs> Getting back to like when I was doing my animated series i actually had Mm -hmm. sort of like dustin diamond agreed on board and i also had verbal agreements with 
I can never remember what her name was, but she played someone in Back to the Future. I think it was Martin McFly's girlfriend. Oh, cool. And is it Ian Zerk? Ian Ian Deering? Yeah, he was in Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, yeah, Ian Deering. Yeah, uh, we had sort of like, they were the buffs, they were the same agent, and they, they agreed. They liked what they read, and... But again, they wanted about, I think it's about seven grand. So, right. Yeah. And to me, that's a hell of a lot of money. But I guess to to them, that's loose change. Well, you know what? To me, that's a hell of a lot of money. And I think once you are, you know, you can't lose perspective on that. You know. So yeah, it's it's, it's that's what makes it difficult to uh, to get you know star names in small independent films. So it it really is like, uh, hey, man, you know, you want to do me a favor, you know, kind of thing if you know them, you know. And uh, so I will be I will be trying to call in my favors as I go along here, too. But, yeah, to, uh, it can be, you know, going through the agents and managers. It can be a, certainly a, a, a big money kind of thing because that's that's their job is to get their clients as much money as possible. To be fair, all three of them people that I was talking to. They might not be as big now, but in the early 90s, they were probably in some of the biggest shows in the world. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, that's why they can ask for that, you know. So I'm sure that they they get it a lot. So that's why, you know, if you want those people, it's like, okay, well, that's what it is. And if not, you know, they'll they turn stuff down all the time. So and, uh, you know, it's the supply and demand kind of thing. So that's kind of what it all comes down to. As you say, you've done a lot of other things other than acting in your career. I mean, I'm just wondering if, say, someone comes up to you with a project and they're looking for only 500 or $1,000 to fund the project, what sort of advice would you give them? You know, to, how to try and get funding for that? If they're just for 500 or 1000 bucks or something? Yeah. Make a t-shirt. You know, I, I would say, yeah design a t-shirt and, and sell sell a bunch of shirts to uh, to back your project it's it's easier to um to get people to buy a thing you know than an idea so so i think that uh which is you know with indiegogo perks it's like you you want to be sure that people are getting something that they don't feel like there's like giving you money you know so um i think that that's that's key so that like what are what do they get for this money and um so yes, that that's what that's what it is. I have talked to someone who's making a movie called Balls for Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and he sort of advised me that the way funding's gone. He said from the last five years, it's completely changed, and now it's much easier to have a finished product to sort of show people that might need cleaning up, but to show. So they know what they're getting rather than sort of saying we've had this idea and we need like 10 grand. You know, people aren't willing to give the money now, whereas five, six years ago, there was a lot more money being swapped around. Is that something you've noticed? Or... Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, any anything that you can do that kind of shows maybe proof of concept or artwork or, or something like this is this is what we're going for. You know, I think that if you can do anything like that, then that'll be better than not having anything because otherwise then it just becomes an idea. And it's like, well, I've got a lot of ideas and everyone has ideas, but it's like, how do you, 
you know, what are you going to do with that idea and how do you actuate, you know, what you're, what you're talking about. So, but do I think that you need to have like, you know, a half finished thing? No, you know, I think uh, something, you know, something that kind of proves that, you know, that you can do what you're saying you can do. I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's for me, you know, I mean, I have my acting reel, you know, that, uh, that, you know, if somebody wanted to hire me as an actor, you know, it's like, you can, you can look and see what my range is, you know, and, um, so you have something out there. So I think anything that, that shows provability of what you're trying to accomplish is what you're looking to do. Cause I mean, I don't. I can't remember which actor it was, but someone that did one of the Marvel movies, they said mm-hmm. it, was, it was the best decision that they made because they can do that one movie to keep them paired and then the next mm-hmm. two or three years just do little independence that they really want to do. I Yeah, I love that, yeah. But anyway, we've got a bit sidetracked there, so <laughs> anyone that's, <laughs> that's listening, right. please go to the Indiegogo page pledge money for the zombie with a shotgun and as we say the lowest sort of like donation well not donation pledge you can do to receive the like the streaming link for the movie is $25 so I'd have a guess that's about £18 I think I don't know my maths is really bad but... <laughs> that's alright but yeah I mean there, there's less ex- less expensive things in that too i mean you know if you just want to chip in five bucks because you think the project is cool you know then you can do that i mean so yeah there's there's no minimum that you can do you know to show support for an independent film it's all appreciated like hilton sort of messaged me on twitter last week and he was saying would i like to sort of like chip in with the funding and i emailed back saying that i get paid on the 17th so once i get paid i'll I will. So I'd like chip in and, and donate to the project. And That's very much appreciated. It's it's the least I can do. And I mean, if anyone's got, I think it's one and a half thousand dollars, you can actually go and become a zombie. Yeah. Which is come on, pretty, come pretty on cool. down. Three thousand. Yeah, that, that'll that'll. Be... Ooh, is that a hundred thousand? No, no, no. I don't think they allow ten, that. Is it ten thousand? I think ten thousand is the max of yeah, the 10, executive producer. Yeah, that'd be yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't have ten thousand dollars, but there are people that uh, there are people that do. There are people that they, you know that have a lot more money than than I can think of, and uh, so that's for them. And the you know the the smaller amounts would be for people like me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all it's all appreciated, you know. A little bit back to the movie then. The campaign itself will run for about another two months. Right. So... Yeah. It's um basically here. Here's what we need to do. Um, we have the the like to be successful. I'm using air quotes again. Uh, is thirty five thousand dollars. Now, is that enough to make a movie? No, it's not. So, so we need it to it, like once it hits the thirty five thousand dollars, then on Indiegogo it runs as an in demand thing, so it stays open. So basically, we need uh, you know fan support to to make it happen and to get it past the thirty five thousand and and to keep on going, because um, like realistically to make a to make a, a feature film, um, it's you know it's probably like seventy five grand at least. 
you know, just to, uh, just to get something in the can. And that's not including, um, you know, post-production. So we'll, we'll run another one for post-production, but, uh, but that's honestly what we're looking at is probably like, you know, raising 75 grand. So, so yeah, so we got to get past that 35 in order to, to put it into an in-demand, um, project. Yeah. And I mean, as you say, 70 grand, that it's still not much really for a feature length movie. No, it's no, no, it's, it's not at all. And so, yeah, so that is, that is the minimum with, uh, probably, you know, but I get, I'll probably get to eat peanut butter sandwiches, you know, on the set, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, we're just, uh, we're just trying to make a movie here. So, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get it done one way or the other. Another random thing. I'm so glad I'm not American because everyone goes on about peanut butter in the UK. It's not that big of a sort of snack and I, I don't really like peanut butter but in america you just everyone goes on about peanut butter i mean even is it peanut butter and jelly yeah <laughs> so it's funny i mean again is jelly just jam just jam yeah yeah because over here jelly is something completely different <laughs> oh okay no it's jam right <laughs> i completely lost my train of thought now <laughs> that's all right you know when you start talking about peanut butter and jelly then we're not talking about movies anymore so what are you gonna do <laughs> but thank you for for having me on man I, I appreciate the time it's as i say it's been an absolute pleasure and i wish you the best of luck because you sound as though you're one of these people that you're, you're not making much money from doing the movie but you're passionate about the project and you're giving so much time and effort into helping Thank you very much. I, I would say that uh, that's that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, ho- hopefully uh, ho- one day down the road, you know, I I actually have lots of money and then uh, you can just like do these things, you know. But until then, you know, it's like it's going to be a, a fan, a fan supported thing. So and I'm a fan myself. I love films. So so I'm just uh, trying trying to be one of the good guys getting some done. Okay, so thank you so much, Kyle. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, and I'll anytime. Okay, thank you, and goodbye. Bye. Hey, guys, Justin here. I just wanted to say that I've been thinking about you. I've been thinking about you a lot. Yes, you in particular, in that way. And I wanted to say, I think you're great. I've always said that about you. And I was wondering, if you think we're great, if you could give us a quick rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It would really, really help us out in that, you know, podcasty sort of way. And if you're feeling particularly festive, perhaps even a little saucy, maybe stop by our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash O-U-G and see if you can't slip a few bucks our way. After all, every little penny or whatever space money they use in Europe helps out the show. Thanks for listening. O-U-G Gaming will always be free, but with your support, we can always move forward and always be better.